The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. A certain Pharisee invited Jesus to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now there was a sinful woman in the city who learned that he was at table in the house of the Pharisee. Bringing an alabaster flask of ointment, she stood behind him at his feet weeping, and she began to bathe his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the ointment. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus said to him in reply, Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people were in debt to a certain creditor. One owed 500 days' wages, and the other owed 50. Since they were unable to repay the debt, he forgave it for both. Which of them will love him more? Simon said in reply, The one, I suppose, whose larger debt was forgiven. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you did not give me water for my feet. But she has bathed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but she has not ceased kissing my feet since the time I entered. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. And so I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The others at table said to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The Gospel of the Lord. This incident in the house of Simon the Pharisee is absolutely remarkable. The Lord who comes into this home, this home of a man who prides himself on how well he takes his faith seriously. And he may have good reason to feel a certain sense of accomplishment. We know Simon is at least interested enough in Jesus to welcome him into his home. And yet, 
we see first this dynamic that occurs time and time again in sacred scripture, which is, don't be naive about what it means to welcome Jesus into your home, because he never comes alone. There's always uninvited company that shows up with Jesus. In our modern world, and actually for centuries, the faithful have fallen into the trap of wanting to reduce our relationship with the Lord to something private. Me and Jesus. I have my relationship with the Lord. You have no relationship with the Lord that doesn't include a relationship with his people. And so it is that there is no inviting Jesus that doesn't involve Jesus bringing a guest. It always happens. And so we see here, Simon opens his door to Jesus and somebody else walks through that door. The uninvited woman. Simon didn't look for her. Simon didn't ask for her. Simon didn't particularly want him there. Nor would his guests and yet she shows up. Uninvited, but also unbarred. The door that opened to Jesus was open to her. What a sobering that lesson is for us. We don't get to simply pick and choose with whom we will have a relationship in the light of our faith. There are those friendships that we discern and that we choose, but the Lord also has others that he draws to himself, and if he draws them to himself, and we're related to him and we're with him, he draws them to us too. And so we see here at this moment then, the righteous man receives Jesus into his home, and the unrighteous woman shows up and walks through the door too. It's inconvenient, it's unexpected, but this is how the gospel works. In fact, there's an echo of this that one sees in the life of St. Louis-Marie de Montfort, who had the interesting habit when he was out preaching his missions, when somebody invited him to dinner, he would say, I will come as long as I can bring my friend. And then he would show up with six or seven beggars. And again, the implication is, if you invite me, you also invite those who come with me. And there's no opening your door to me that doesn't include opening your door to some degree to them as well. And it's important that we catch that. This doesn't happen on the street. This happens in Simon's house. With somebody he didn't invite. And so again, just imagine on a human level this, this dinner party, and it's joyful, and they have questions for Jesus, and they want to listen to Jesus. And then this woman shows up and stands right behind Jesus so that you can't see Jesus without also seeing her. 
she's right there. And she's weeping. You know, and to weep is not just to have a tear run down your cheek. It's to cry with some force. She is weeping. And she's there because she heard that's where Jesus would be. When we live our faith and our faith is visible, there is this sense in the world around us that Jesus can be found there. And there are those who come. Wounded, disturbed, curious. But they come because they're drawn to him. Faith is attractive, and faith lived well is very attractive, but we can't control who or what it attracts. And so we see the Lord is here, and she comes with an alabaster bottle filled with precious ointment that she would like to use to anoint the Lord and honor him. But note the sequence of this. She desires to express her affection for the Lord. She desires to honor the Lord. She desires in modern language to praise the Lord. But note how she starts. She doesn't start with a word of praise. She doesn't start by opening up the ointment and anointing the Lord because that would be the wrong move. Before she anoints the Lord, she weeps. Note the sequence here. Repentance comes first, not praise. Repentance comes first. She who knows who the Lord truly is knows that he is the one who receives the sinner. And so she doesn't go to him first and primarily as the one who wants to praise the glory of his name without first receiving the glory and the grace of his healing and his forgiveness. And she holds the expensive bottle. She holds the costly perfume in her hands. But as her heart is moved to tears and she kneels at his feet, before she anoints those feet with that perfume, she washes them with her tears. Our prayer is often shallow because we forget that. Our praise is often weak because we forget that. It's a lot more convenient. It's a lot less embarrassing just to go to the anointment. She could have come in and made a show of the expensive perfume. She, should have, she could have come in and made a show of how much she loves the Lord. But note that she doesn't do that. She come in, comes in and she leads with her woundedness. She leads with her need to be forgiven. 
she leads with a sense of who she really is. She knows she's a sinner. Simon knows she's a sinner. Everybody in the house knows she's a sinner. And so she doesn't pretend she's anything other than a sinner. Sometimes we try too hard to come to the Lord as if we're saints. But that's not how saints are made. Saints are those who come to the Lord as sinners and allow his grace to change them. And so we have this odd moment where Simon is thinking, if this guy's the prophet, I hear he is. How does he not know this? I know she's a sinner. She knows she's a sinner. Everybody in the house and everybody in town knows she's a sinner. And no, at no point in the gospel do, do we hear Jesus say, no, that's not true. Jesus never says that's not true. Jesus never says this is an exaggeration. In fact, Jesus labels her a sinner too. He knows exactly that she's a sinner. But he also knows that Simon's a sinner. And he knows that Simon's guests are all sinners. And the entire village is filled with sinners. In fact, this entire world. And that everybody on this side of the Virgin Mary is described exactly and precisely by that word, sinner. We may not like the word. The modern world certainly doesn't like the word. But that is the truth. You are sinners. I am a sinner. That's who we are. It does no good to pretend that it's something else. It does no good for us to deny that. And so here it is. The Lord knows she's a sinner and he is pleased to allow the sinner to draw near. And he is pleased to allow her to touch him in this way, shedding these tears, wiping his feet with her hair, Think of the intimacy of that. Even if her hair is really long, how close her head has to be to those feet to do something like that. This is a gesture of incredible closeness, presumptuous closeness, uncomfortable closeness for anybody watching. This is why Simon reacts that way. It's like, oh my, this is... What on earth is happening here? How can she do this? In my house, in front of us, at my party. It goes beyond the bounds of what is appropriate. And the Lord is pleased to sit and receive this gesture because of what it is. Oh, he knows exactly that she's a sinner. And he also knows exactly what is happening within her. Her consciousness of this debt against God that she couldn't even begin to repay. And that is really why she came to him.
the costly perfume is not going to pay for her forgiveness. The costly perfume is not going to win her anything. But those tears have won her something. In fact, they're the tears of one who knows, not just that I can't pay the debt, but that someone is taking care of it. And these are tears that are shed as much in repentance as they are in gratitude. And so it is that it's at this point Simon is thinking, how on earth is he letting this happen? You know, and again, in sympathy for Simon, if you attribute any holiness at all to Jesus, the tradition he grows up in restricts contact with the holy and the sacred. One has to be purified. One has to be careful. One doesn't simply show up covered with one's sins and touched the holy. And yet, strangely, that is what's happening here. So in fairness to Simon, his statement is not merely something prejudicial and unreasonable. There is something here that goes beyond everything that he understands to be correct. And it's here as he's thinking that St. Luke's Gospel says, interestingly enough, as Simon is thinking certain things, Jesus said to him in reply, be careful what you think in church. Somebody's listening. Simon is thinking and Jesus speaks in reply to what Simon has in his head and in his heart. Simon didn't realize he was praying. Neither do we sometimes. These attitudes that we allow to live within us, that we repeat to ourselves and we fool ourselves. Well, you know, I'm not in prayer right now. I'm not saying that to God. Don't be so sure. We say lots of things to God that we don't realize. If Simon thought for a second Jesus was listening, he wouldn't have been thinking that way. But here he is thinking, and there's the Lord who knows exactly what's going on. Not just in that woman's life, but in Simon's head as well. And so at this point, Jesus turns to Simon. And what does he do? He brings Simon's attention where it needs to be, which is not on the woman, but on the Lord. And the Lord says, let me just ask you a question. And this example that Jesus uses is beautiful. It's wonderfully simple. There are two people who owe a Lord a debt. And one debt is enormous. And the other debt is substantial, but not nearly so large. And so he uses the example of money. You know, and one is a couple thousand dollars and the other is tens of thousands of dollars. But neither one can pay it back. Neither one has the funds. And the Lord to whom they owe the money, in an act of kindness to each of them, says, let me just forgive your debt. Let's just forget about it. Don't worry about it. And the question was really simple. 
who will have more love for the one who took the dead away? Simon's answer is the natural one. The, the, the one who doesn't have to pay back tens of thousands of dollars. That one is going to be happier. That one is going to be more grateful. He's received a bigger gift. And his joy in what he is given, if he's human at all, his affection for the one who helped him should be great and deep. Now, we all know the truth. In our entitled, indifferent world, we often receive great kindnesses that we promptly forget about and don't appreciate. But let's just assume for the sake of argument we live in a briefly perfect world for the moment in this story. And it would be the one whose big debt is taken away. Because while both couldn't repay, the one was so enormous that it's never going to be paid back. And so Jesus looks at him and says, this is where Simon, you and everybody else get it wrong. You think, you think that because you show love to God, he forgives you. And that's not how it works. And that's why your love is small. You think you earn it. You think your love wins you forgiveness. And your love stays tiny. You think you don't need to be forgiven. You dwell on your sense of how good you are. And so your love for God is tiny. You're too busy thanking God for a little bit of goodness and you've forgotten how much more you need. And the Lord points to the woman and says, look at the difference. I came to your house and you showed me to my chair. That's not bad, but it's not much. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You gave me no water for my feet. And she's been kissing my feet. And she's washed my feet with her tears. And then she anointed me, and you gave me no oil. Oh, she's a sinner. And she's a bigger sinner than you are, Simon. That's true. And her love for me is bigger than yours. Because she received a bigger forgiveness from me. Forgiveness produces love. It's not the other way around. On God's side, his love is what produces forgiveness. On our side, our need for forgiveness is what produces it. When we surrender to it. And this woman whose debt is so great, whose wound is so great, whose life has opened to that kind of a healing, she's the one who will appreciate it more. But the one who's satisfied, the one who's content, even though you say, well, he's not a bad guy, which is, you know, talk about damning somebody with faint praise. Simon's not a bad guy. Well, I'd hope not. But that doesn't make him a great guy. 
That doesn't make him a man of a large heart. And note what the Lord is saying here. Being forgiven and receiving that forgiveness and appreciating it enlarges the heart. This is the single biggest reason why it is tragic that so few regularly celebrate confession. And we can talk about how souls are in danger because of unconfessed sin, but that's not the real issue. What is the attitude we hear from people? I haven't done anything that bad. Why do I need to go to confession? Simon the Pharisee. At best, you'll only ever have a heart that's not so bad. But it will not be filled with grace in any great way. It will not be capable of truly great goodness. When we fail to seek the forgiveness of the Lord, the ability of his people to love as he loves, and to love him, diminishes, it shrinks. The one whose debt is forgiven will love. The larger the debt, the greater the love. This is why the church encourages us to reflect on the passion of the Lord, so that we understand the price our salvation cost, and that we value it and love the one who has done so much to us. Because a great gift should produce great gratitude and great love. This is also why, if we truly appreciate the gift, we should seek out the sacrament of forgiveness regularly, not fooling ourselves saying, I haven't done anything, you know, I haven't robbed a bank, I haven't killed anybody. You know, because what we don't say after that is like all the good things that we haven't done either. It's the same thing in our families. It's the same thing in our society. You notice how angry we've gotten? How self-righteous everybody seems to be? How unforgiving and cold we are. There's an unforgiving coldness in the name of religion. There's an unforgiving coldness in the name of politics. There's an unforgiving coldness in the name of business. There's an unforgiving coldness in the name of just being frustrated with everything. And in the middle of all of that, all of us who are so cold and unforgiving are a little too in love with our own righteousness. Our own sense of the world has imposed on me, but I'm okay. And what we miss is that simple humility of this woman that says, no, I'm not okay. But I know that when I draw near to the Lord, I can become okay. What a marvelous and important gospel this is. Simon is not a bad guy. And that's exactly what his problem is because he's nothing more at the moment than a guy who's not so bad. But the Lord didn't come so that we wouldn't be bad guys. The Lord came that we might have life 
and have it with abundance. And in this gospel, he shows us the key to that. The one whose debt has been forgiven loves. The larger the debt, the larger the love. If we want our hearts to dilate, to expand with the love of God, this example of what takes place in the house of Simon the Pharisee shows us the way. So as you come forward to receive him today in Holy Communion, remember, as you invite him into that dinner party in your heart like Simon did, don't be surprised if he brings a guest. Maybe the guest is some other person. Maybe the guest is some broken corner of your life that you've been avoiding. But he'll bring somebody. Maybe he'll just hold up a mirror and ask you to see the face of that woman or the face of Simon and then say to you, what's it going to be? But don't be shy. Don't be shy about receiving him in the spirit of this woman. And note how we remind ourselves of that before we receive him in Holy Communion. I am not worthy, O Lord, that you should come under my roof. Why would I say that? I'm a sinner. But say the word, and I'll be healed. Listen to him say that word in your heart and feel that healing. And then open that bottle of perfume and anoint him with your gratitude. And that would be a very, very great thing. Amen.